But um, we're going to start a new series, and, and so you kind of get the idea. Because we want to we want to let uh, everybody know, and we really want to teach and proclaim the truth of God. We need to know what God has said. So this may seem a little strange, but there's also a problem at times with people thinking God said certain things or means certain things, but he doesn't. And so uh, this whole series will be about four or five messages is going to be God never said that. Right, And I was trying to get help with putting this title together, and, and I think it was Curtis that said that I needed to title it that God ain't never know how ever said nothing like that. Okay, right? I mean, we're going to be emphatic that I ain't never said nothing like that. What? Uh, but we've got things like that that, you know, so we'll probably deal with some of that. I mean, there are some obvious ones that we know aren't in the Bible, like God helps those who help themselves, right? God never said that. In fact, God says, you realize you can't help yourself, okay? I think it was who Benjamin Franklin said that, uh, you know, that God helps those who help themselves. It wasn't, wasn't in the Bible. And then, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Um, you know, hey, cleanliness is pretty important, yeah, you know. And the godlier we get, the cleaner we ought to be. But it actually is not a verse that says that in the Bible. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to go on and, and look at some other things that we talk about and that we say. And sometimes you'll say, now, didn't God say that? Didn't Jesus say that? Or isn't that in the Bible somewhere? It, doesn't it say some? People will say something. Doesn't it say somewhere in there? Right? I'm not sure, but it just seems like it should be there. Um, but people often think he said things he didn't. You know, It's like God never said, as you come together to worship and fellowship, make sure you have plenty of fried chicken. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know we, we, he may have, we think he implied it somewhere in there, right? Or he never said that, uh, follow me and you will never get in an argument or a fight on, in the car on the way to church. Okay, he never said that, never said that. Or that follow me and men and you will never, while waiting on your wife to get ready, say something that makes her mad. Okay, <laughs> right? So, so, you know, some of those things, you know, they, we're saying it, not God. Um, so today, I want to focus on one that kind of goes along with, with our thoughts today. Um, but, but like I said, there are going to be several of them like, God just wants you to be happy, right? Or how about um, in the weeks ahead, um, God will never put more on you than you can handle. Okay, how about that one? How about, it, it really, it doesn't matter so much what you believe as long as you're sincere. God never said that. Okay, so we're going to look at several things like that, okay? But today, how about this one um, that we want, to, we, want to, we want to take a look at is that you get what you deserve. I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? You get what you deserve. Karma and all of that. Karma is not Bible, okay? <laughs> That's Eastern religion. You need to know that. But it just seems like that makes sense is you get what you deserve. Isn't that how life works? And isn't that how, how things happen? I mean, you know, we, we have a lot of struggles that we go through. And many of us are struggling with a lot of things already today. Um, and, you know, even some of the things that I already mentioned about, you know, getting an argument on the way to church or saying something to, you know, offend somebody, things like that. How many of us are already guilty today? I mean, you might, don't raise your hand, but you probably could. Some things like that. I mean, I can remember when the kids were all small and you know Clarissa and I we we got four little kids ready for church and and I had to be here not on time but early because you know I'm the pastor but we found out really quick that there was a way that boy the devil could get us really fighting and arguing over these these you know and and I'll just tell you 
Um, if they were going to throw up, if they were going to have an accident, it was going to be after you got them dressed for church, right? And we tried to work out a system. We actually had to start, some of you ought to do this, starts planning on, on Saturday night. Well, we might even start planning on Friday night, but, it's, but on Saturday, start getting things ready so that we finally worked out a system. Because I tell you, my attitude at first was, this is towards how you serve God, is you take care of all the hassles so I can just think godly thoughts and not be bothered or distracted on Sunday morning so I'm ready to preach. And I really, I really felt strongly about that. And I probably put a lot of guilt on. Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that, you know, this is what you're supposed to do and things like that. But I realized that the first person I should minister to before all of you guys was my wife, okay? And so we had to work out a system. And I think it ended up, and when we were first living in town, I would take the boys and you would take the girls and, you know, at least kind of split it up and divide it up and work. But, but it's something that we had to prepare for and plan for. And uh, instead of just being, you know, like, all oh, wow, guilty about it. Today, we're going to talk about what the Bible actually has to say about guilt and sin and what we deserve. Okay. That's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to be looking at a couple of passages. So you might look at and mark both of these places in Ephesians chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 23. But that's the thing, because we have this battle over what we deserve. We have this battle over guilt. And so I want to talk about that for a second, that we struggle with a lot of these things. We have all kinds of, what does the Bible say about guilt, about sin, about what we deserve? Because um, we have all kinds of things that bother us. I mean, we have a, a, one of the. Did you know one of the number one uh, topics or issues that people seem to struggle with guilt over is food guilt. Yeah. Once again, don't be raising your hands. You don't have to. But I mean, about man, I shouldn't have eaten all of that. Or you know, boy, you know, I just feel bad. I I, I didn't mean to eat that whole um, box of ice cream. You know, I was just going to have a few bites. And, but we do. We have, have guilt over that. Um, we sometimes just, you know, parenting guilt. I was talking about parenting there for a minute. That uh, that was always a struggle when our kids were growing up because feel like that, you know, you have to work, you have to make a living, you have to do this and that, but you don't feel like you're being as good a parent. There's, there's probably no one in this room that feels like that they're as good a parent as they ought to be, and so you feel a little guilty about that. Uh, there's general guilt that we have. Just, you know, I don't do enough, right? I don't, um, I don't serve God enough. Uh, you know, I don't help other people enough. I don't give enough. You know, things like that. We struggle with that. Uh, spiritual guilt goes along with that. I don't love God as much as I should. I don't obey Him as well as I should. Um, I, I don't. Uh, I don't show up at church as much as I should. Um, I don't give as much as I should. Uh, I, I feel bad because, truth be told, that other people don't know it. But I struggle with some jealousy. I struggle with some bitterness this week. I struggle with some pride and greed. Maybe I struggle with lust this week, and I struggle inside myself. And I, I really feel bad about that. I don't deserve any of God's blessings. I struggle with pastor's guilt. I mean, I I don't feel like I don't even, I don't even meet my own standards of really what I should be, much less God's standards. I feel like I'm not always what you need. And I can just tell you that I know that no way, no how, by any means whatsoever do I deserve to be standing in front of you today. I know that. And that can be a real battle, a real struggle that I have. But I need to understand what God says and what God doesn't say about guilt because you realize that there's, there's a difference between the accusations of the enemy who accuses us and actual conviction by the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, they can be two different. They're, they're two different things because sometimes you may be thinking you're hearing the Holy Spirit's conviction, and you're actually listening to Satan's accusations. By the way, the word devil, literal devil, really means accuser or slanderer. He that's what he does. Okay, and I need to understand that that God does uses uh, His truth to expose sin in our life, and then I feel guilt. Okay, I am guilty. That's part of repentance. Is I'm acknowledging the truth about me. I'm acknowledging my guilt before. For God and I repent is not just that I'm sorry, but I'm willing to turn from the way I'm doing and turn to Him. There's a turn, there's a change that's involved. But once I have confessed it, He says He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Because I'm here to tell you today, right off the bat, that God not only sent His Son to pay for your sins so you can be forgiven, but also to remove your guilt so that even though you are guilty, He declares you not guilty when you're saved. Amen. That's what it's all about. Uh, but I want to find out what the Bible really says because everybody just says, you know, you, you, just, you just get, um, you know, you don't feel like you deserve to be forgiven by God. We're just supposed to get what we deserve, right? Isn't that true? Isn't that in the Bible, you get what you deserve? Isn't that? I know I've read that in there. Well, actually, probably what you're thinking of is this verse right here. It's Galatians 6, 7, where he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall that he will also reap. Now, what he's talking about there is not necessarily what you deserve. What he's talking about there are natural consequences. Natural, because it's just like a seed that's planted. You get what you plant. You get uh, more than what you planted if it grows. And you get it later. The harvest happens later. So some things you're dealing with now as consequences that are a result of things that you may have done a long time ago. And if you want those consequences to change, you need to watch what seed you're planting. But it's not about what you deserve because these are natural consequences that happen as a result of our attitudes and our actions. Okay, That's what this is all about there. So that's not what he's talking about. But most of us are geared to just think, I just get what I deserve. I don't really deserve to serve God. I don't really deserve to know God. And we're just geared that way. So it's all about what we think we earn and what we deserve. So let's talk about that for a moment. Because we, we've got our ideas of how things ought to be and what fairness is, don't we? Um, I mean, we're geared this way, right? All right? Can you help me out a little bit this morning? Me finish. I'll say a statement, you finish it. What goes around? Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we, we do say that, don't we? Isn't that somewhere like in the Bible? How about this? Your past will always come back to haunt you. Man, you guys are sharp. Oh, here's another. You made your bed, now you have to... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so we, 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 we think that way, right? That's just the way it ought to work. There, there are, these are all different ways of saying you get what you deserve. I have to tell you, though, there's a part of me that really likes this. You know? Hey, when I'm watching a movie or reading a novel uh, or even, you know, an hour-long TV show, I kind of like it whenever the... Um, you know, the bad guys get exposed and they get it in the end, right? I kind of like that. I kind of like kind of like watching the old CSI show where, you know, all this fancy technology and it's amazing. It's amazing how fast their labs work and they can find all this amazing stuff in just like a, a few minutes. You know, we know it takes months and they, they, they get all this stuff together and, and, and the real bad person who seems to be getting away with something gets caught and we like that. Yes, you know, within an hour's time, this, this big mystery, this horrible crime is solved and the bad guy gets it. 
I like that. That's the way it ought to be. That ump called that third strike, and it was clearly out of the zone. I mean, we've got that little box there on TV right now. I mean, and that wasn't even close. This guy's a professional. Shouldn't he know better than that? And I hope, I hope there's somebody in charge in that umpire's union and all that that makes them go back and look at their game and see what a bad job they did when it's against my team. Otherwise, it's just a lucky break, right? See? Uh, you're going down the highway, you know. I'm going down the highway. And um, I appreciate something Curtis said years ago. It's like you get to the age where I'm built more for comfort than speed, right? And as, as a guy gets older, you're just, you know, you're more about comfort than speed. But to say you're driving down the road and you're driving, you know, you're driving along, you know, and you're going just, you know, around the speed limit. I don't know, Bobby, how much you give somebody? Just, just, you don't want to say? Just, just a little bit. Just, Huh? <laughs> you know, so sometimes, you know, speed over might be off a little bit. Say so you're, you're going within, you know, three or four, five mile an hour of speed limit. So you're, you're pretty, pretty safe. Fairly, okay, I won't tell them. <laughs> I won't tell them. I won't take advantage of it. Uh, and, and, then, and then so I'm going along there, and I'm obeying the laws, and I'm trying to be careful. I'm trying to be safe. And somebody blows by me 20 mile an hour over the speed limit. You know what my reaction is usually? Boy, I hope I see them pulled over down the road just a little ways. I hope I do. I do that. You ever do that? Boy, I hope they get stopped, you know. Oh, man. And I was coming back from Arkansas a while back, and, you know, if you're between, like, Gainesville and Mansfield, you know, there's usually a patrolman, a highway patrolman along there, and I know that. You know, they raised the speed limit to 60. It was 55, and, and so I'm driving along there, right? And I can see a white uh, patrol car sitting like the top of a hill. I can see that. And there's this truck coming up behind me. I mean, this truck. Uh, and, and it's a diesel turbo. I can hear him. And he's coming up fast, and I'm thinking, can't he see that? Can't he see that? And guess what? He blows by me about like that right beside the patrolman. It was right there around Squire somewhere. Uh, and, and, and he just, choom, and he's gone. He doesn't even, oops, he's just gone. I'm like, you idiot. Boy, I hope I see you pulled over. And I'm kind of looking around like, he ain't moving. And because it's, you know, straight stretch, I can see he's not moving. Uh, I was disappointed. And I'm driving along for pretty good ways. I thought, surely he's got a buddy here he can radio. And I saw a black car kind of coming up fast behind me. I thought, all right, let's just see here. Sure enough, it was another patrolman. And he shoom, shoots around me. I'm like, got you now, man. And, and, and it took him all the way to Ava to catch the guy. But I saw him. By the time I got there, I was disappointed because the patrolman's getting back in his vehicle and leaving. I thought, well, he's just like, there's your ticket. I'm gone. Or else... It was another highway patrolman that was, I don't know, no, 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 I don't know. I don't, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But we have that sense of justice and that sense of, um, yeah, things like that. I know guys that sometimes their favorite thing to do is blow the doors off their buddies that are on patrol if they're brothers, yeah, in, in the yeah, force. So anyway, sometimes that might happen. I don't know what happened there, but it may not take long to say, buddy, here's your, here's your you get, that's going to cost you, and things like that. But I just have that thing about what we earn and what we deserve, and, and you know, I, I want it to be that, except for when it comes to me, right? Sometimes I kind of fudge a little bit there. But is it accurate to say that we get what we deserve or we should? Is, is life fair like that? Let me ask you another question. Is God fair? Um, should bad things, and this bothers me to see this happen, but bad things happen to good people. Should that be 
I mean, how could a good God let bad things happen to such good people? It just doesn't seem fair. That's not what they deserve. Okay? Well, is it or is it not? Because what we need to do is think about what the Bible teaches about God's mercy and God's grace. Okay? Because the Bible describes God this way, as just. One of God's biggest attributes is God is perfect, holy, and just. Okay? God's perfection. So, does the Bible present God as fair according to our thinking? No. Just. Justice. This is actually good news for us. Because our ideas about fairness would cancel out mercy and grace. It would. Because I want to tell you, over there in that text I told you to turn to in Ephesians chapter 2 is the most unfair thing that ever happened in the universe. Paul refers to it. You want to talk about unfair. The most unfair thing that ever happened in the universe is when God sent his son, fully God yet fully human, to come down and to take my sin and your sins and pay for that sin on the cross, to have that sin put on his account, and he took the wrath of God that you and I deserved. And he paid it all there so that when we come to him by faith, trusting in what he did, the price that he paid, our sin is applied to that. He pays for our sin, and then God takes his righteousness and puts in our account. That wasn't fair. That's the most unfair thing you can think about. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And talk about all you, all of us, right? All of us, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And he tells us this. Look at this. Let's look at verse 3. I want to put it up there so no one misses it. He says, All of us lived among them, talking about sinners, at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts, like the rest. In other words, he says, just like everybody else. He's talking to Christians, but he's reminding them, just like everybody else, you were nature, by nature, objects of wrath. Just like everybody else. What's he saying there? You were children of wrath or you were objects of wrath. That basically you deserved God's wrath. That's what you all deserved. You were spiritually dead. There was no way you could work your way into heaven because you're spiritually dead. That's who you are, really, and that's what you deserved. And I'm glad that it doesn't stop there, that we were dead in sin And we deserve the wrath of God. I'm glad the passage doesn't stop there, aren't you? Look at verse 4. Because we need some help. And he starts off with two words. Two words that can change your whole day here, right? Two words that can change your mood. Two words that can change your whole eternity. But God. (laughs) We were dead spiritually. We were helpless. We deserved God's wrath. But God. Who is rich in what? Mercy. That's what we're talking about, mercy and grace. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. And this is that verse, one of those verses where love is used as a noun and as a verb here. Because of his great love, noun. 
with which He loved us. There's the verb. If you have the noun, it's going to have a verb attached to it. That His love produced action. Because of His love with which He loved us, even when we were no good, we were dead in trespasses and sin, and we deserved His wrath. It says here's what He did. He made us alive together with Christ. That's salvation. By grace you have been saved, he reminds us. Mercy, grace, by grace you have been saved. Because he's already pointing out something that Paul's already pointed out earlier. Um, that this, this is about mercy and grace. See, mercy is this. Sometimes we misunderstand. Mercy literally means not getting what we do deserve. What did we deserve? The wrath of God. All of us. That's what you do. So, so you get what you deserve. I have bad news for us. If we get what we deserve, all of us, all of us, I don't care how nice you think you are, all of us don't measure up to the perfection of God. All of us deserve hell. That's what you and I deserve. The Bible is very clear. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. There's a difference. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. So not only do we not get what we do deserve, but grace says, I'm going to give you what you could never earn or deserve. I'm going to give you the riches of Christ. I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to give you forgiveness and salvation. All of this stuff that we were celebrating around the Lord's table earlier. That, so not only do I don't get what I should get, but then I do get what I could never get any other way except he gives it as a gift, and he paid for the gift. Mercy and grace. You don't get what you deserve because if I did, I would have God's wrath, and if I got what I deserve, I wouldn't have the salvation and the blessing and the righteousness and the relationship with Christ, heaven and everything that goes with it. See, so this is it. In fact, he, he, he's told us before, Romans 3, 23, that we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did you know you fall short? Now, we like to look and we like to judge people on a scale. God doesn't have a scale like that. We like to compare ourselves to other people. We like to compare ourselves to other, other church people. Uh, God doesn't do that. When God judges you, what's his point of reference? What does he judge you against? He judges you against Jesus. He judges you against his perfection. So basically, this is saying you've fallen short of the glory of the perfection of God, that if you're not as perfect as God, you fall short. You are a sinner. That word means literally you have missed the mark of God's perfection. Every one of us lost, deserving God's wrath. That's what we deserve. And then he tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. What do you do? A wage is something that you earn. True? That's what you earn. You earn your wage. The only thing you've earned and deserve is death. And that means separation. Separation from God. But the gift. Ah! The gift. A gift is something that you don't pay for. If you, as I said many times, receive a gift and then all of a sudden you get an invoice and asking for a check, you need to ask some questions, all right? You've been suckered, okay? This free gift. and then it free. How many of you have, have supposedly get this free gift that some company's offering and that free gift ends up costing you a lot of money, huh? That's not a good gift. See, the thing about it is, is a gift is something that's totally paid for by someone else. 
and offered to you. All you have to do is receive the gift, okay? And that's what he says, wage of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a gift he paid for. What you have to do is receive it. And the sad thing is this gift has been paid for, and it's been offered, and so many people refuse to receive the gift. They won't take the gift. How do we receive it? Well, back over to Ephesians chapter 2. He reminds us there that not only has he uh, loved us, and even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, but he's raised us up, verse 6, raised us up together and made us set in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's for the ages to come. That means this never ends, you guys, of us getting what we could never earn or deserve. It never ends in the ages to come. We're going to be, he's going to shower his grace on us forever. Okay, let's keep reading. He reminds us, for by grace you have been saved. That's it right there, the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. We don't deserve it. He gives us what we could never earn or deserve. Said, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And now we belong to Him. He reminds us we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good things that are going to come through our life because of Him and because we are saved. So this is what God's doing. This is what it's all about. It's it's this, this is a way that a holy listen to me, perfect God can take a guilty sinner who deserves His wrath but who puts their faith in the gift that God has provided. This is the act whereby God declares that guilty, believing sinner not guilty. Even though you are guilty, because of Christ and your faith in Him, He declares you not guilty, and God can still stay true to His perfection and justice and holiness because the price was Paid for by the only one ever qualified to pay it, Jesus Christ. Satisfied the justice and perfection of God. So that's why God just can't overlook your sin and let it go. Your sin had to be paid for. If God had done that and allowed sinners into heaven, we'd have contaminated the whole place. God wouldn't be perfect. God wouldn't be holy anymore. But by his son coming, and the only one qualified, fully God, yet fully human, and the only one in the flesh that lived the perfect life. The only one, we might say, who was good. In Luke chapter 18, there was a guy that came to Jesus, and he said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? Remember that? What did Jesus say? There's only one good, and that's God. And so basically he's asking the guy, do you really understand who I am? And do you understand what goodness is all about? Because you guys, you Pharisees, you scribes, y'all think you're good. He didn't really say it like this probably. But this is the idea. Y'all really think you're good, but you ain't even close to being good. There's only one good, that's God. All of us are sinners. We're all in the same boat. So really there's only one who's good, and that's Jesus but on behalf of, he's the only one then qualified. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what it's all about right there. Uh, is, is, that's what the earning and deserving. So he displays this. And you know one place where that is on display is in Luke chapter 23. 
If you look at Luke chapter 23, you're going to find where God not only said, I love you, but he proved his love by his great love wherewith he loved us. He proved his love. Where? On the cross. That's where Jesus, fully God, fully human, was able to bring a holy God and sinful humans together. That's where he took your sin and my sin. Well, I hadn't even been born yet, you say. That's okay because God dwells outside of time and eternity. All time is present with him. He sees the future better than we see the past because it's just present with him. He's eternal. But being in the flesh, he could pay the price that was due. The wages of sin is death. Jesus could die for our sins. And that's what he did. He's the only one qualified. Luke 23 describes that crucifixion. It describes the last hours of Jesus' life on earth before he was resurrected. And let me tell you, it describes the most unfair, undeserved thing that ever happened on planet earth. That ever happened in the universe. It was not fair that the only perfect one who would ever be would suffer because of all of my stuff and yours. Not fair at all. Instead of wearing a golden crown, we see King Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. Instead of being surrounded by servants, we see him surrounded by thieves. Instead of sitting on a throne, he's hanging on a cross. And you have to understand, when they crucified him, about how that, that, that when Jesus was delivered over to be crucified, that they scourged him, they stripped him naked. And they took this big whip with bits of metal or bone embedded in it. And basically, it would rip the flesh right off and expose the bones. And probably, that's exactly what happened. And, and then afterwards, they beat him to it. These guys are trained to beat someone within an inch of their life. And oh, the torture that he had. But it wasn't enough. They had to mock him. They had to spit on him. They took this mock robe and put back on him, which kind of acted like a gauze to slow the bleeding so he could suffer a little more for you and I. They took a crown. Oh, you want to be a king they made it out of thorns and they beat it down into his skull and the blood ran down his face they beat him they plucked his beard out Isaiah said speaking prophetically he didn't even look recognizable or even human by the time they were done and part of the punishment was you had to carry your cross to the place of execution and he stumbled under the load and when you got there they nailed you on this And they put a nail here and a nail here and his feet together right by the heel there. And he was nailed. And then they would raise it up and it would drop into a slot and hit with a thud and tissue would tear. And the way that they would hang in the pressure, the only way to breathe breathe is with with a slight bend in their legs. They would have to push up against the nail and against the nails there and push themselves up in order to get a breath. And go down in a, and and that was in their back against their bare back, all the hide ripped off against the cross. That's just physically what Jesus went through as he suffered and died for hours on the cross for you. That's the scene in Luke 23. And it's not pretty. And it's not fair. How many people were hanging with Jesus on the cross? How many people were on crosses that day? How many people were hanging on crosses? Three. We find that there were two thieves, and they had to be pretty, two criminals. They had to be pretty bad dudes to be suffering this too. They were nailed to crosses on either side. Jesus is in the middle. We find one hurled insults, but the other expressed faith in Jesus. As you read through this, you come to that story here in chapter 23. And verse 39, and I think I have that up there. 
in verse 39, one of the thieves, one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save us and save yourself. I mean, he's just like blaspheming and, and, and you know, just, you know, if you save us if you're really who you say you are. But the other thief, that, that, or the other criminal that was there answered, rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, seeing we're under the same kind? We're all dying here. And in verse 41, here's what he says. He says, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our de- deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing. Do you see that? What our deeds deserve. We're getting, our thought again, we're getting what we what? What we deserve. But it said, We know he doesn't deserve it. And then the next thing that he said was this. He said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Obviously, he knew something about Jesus' teaching. And at that moment, he expressed faith in Jesus that I can't explain. At that moment, with them dying on a cross, the most torturous death I've ever devised, that he said, he spoke about the future kingdom. He spoke of Jesus, the man who was dying, coming into a kingdom. That he had faith there. He believed that Jesus was greater than the cross and greater than the grave and greater than death. He believed there would still be a kingdom and that Jesus was King Jesus and there on the cross he said, remember me when that happens. I tell you, that's some kind of faith, isn't it? That is powerful. That that just moves me. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, Jesus couldn't say, too late, buddy. You're getting what you deserve. He didn't say that, did he? So right here on the cross, you see God's answer to what you deserve. Because that guy was a criminal and he deserved to die. They both could have been saved right there, but only one of them responded. Jesus could have said, you know what? You should have listened better at the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you wouldn't have ended up up here. Or he didn't say, no, because of the way you live, you're going to split hell wide open here in a few minutes, buddy. He didn't say that either, did he? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. The guy certainly didn't deserve that, did he? See, that thief couldn't do anything to earn his standing with God. That thief couldn't go any good, do any good deeds. His feet were nailed to a cross. His hands were nailed to a cross. He couldn't perform any good works whatsoever. He couldn't even attend service. He couldn't turn over a new leaf. His life was ebbing away. This is his last day alive. There's nothing he could do to earn anything except believe in Jesus. Right there on the cross during that scene, he illustrated his mercy and his grace. Even though he didn't deserve it, he was forgiven. He did not deserve that. In one sense, that wasn't fair, right? If you deserve it, it's not grace. If you deserve it, right? If you deserve it, it's not grace. So the fact that we don't deserve it, we can, instead of beating ourselves up, we can lift our hands and praise God because I know I don't deserve it. That's what makes grace so powerful and so beautiful because it's not fair that I received the righteousness of Christ and he's had to take my sin. But he did it because he loves me. He loves you. I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. 
It's a gift. So excuse me if I don't just receive that gift and excuse me if I just live passionately for my God who did this for me. I could never love Him enough because He loved me already so much. I'm excited. I want to be passionate about His grace. I'm not going to go around my head down saying I can't, I don't deserve it, I'm no good, all that. And all that's true. I'm just going to say that's why I need His grace and His grace is fueling me. Because he's given me a gift of what I could never earn or deserve. And so I'm going to be excited. And this isn't a new idea. This was always God's plan. Go all the way back to Psalm 103, verse 10. The psalmist says about God, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. We can all say that. He's really not dealt with me according to my sin, or punished me according to my iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear him. He hasn't given me what I deserve. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. How many people are hanging on a cross? It's a lot better if you help out. Three. Let's think about that for just a second as we wrap this up. Three. Because when you think about it, it's it's teaching us about God's grace. In the Bible and in college, we went through this whole thing of stuttering, studying, stuttering, and studying uh, <laughs> numerology. And, and there's a lot to that, that, that numbers mean more than just numerical value. A lot of them have other you know, meaning because we know, like, for instance, seven is a number that means perfection. You see that all through the Bible, right? Now, some people try to take this further than probably what God intended, but you do see that. You see that one is a number of unity. Our God is one, right? A number of unity. Um, you see that uh, four is a, it comes up a lot in the Bible and in prophecy. Four is the number of the earth because you have like the four corners, the four winds of the earth, right? So it's a number that a lot of times refers to the earth. Like I said, seven is a number of perfection. <clears throat> Six is a number that is one less than perfection, one less than seven. So it is a number of imperfection. It's a number of humans because we're sinful. That's why the Antichrist number is 666, right? It's the number of fallen humanity. But three is also a number that's used a lot. It's a number of wholeness and completion that you find in the Bible. For instance, can you stay with me just for a few seconds? Are you with me? Come on, get in here. God is one God, yet He is three in one. God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God created us with a three stamped on us because there's three parts to you, right? Body, soul, and spirit. So we're made in his image. And, uh, and there's a lot more to that. Of the attributes of God, there are three that you see prominent all through the Bible. God is omnipotent. That's all-powerful. God is omniscient. That is all-knowing. And God is omnipresent. That is all-present. Present everywhere at the same time. You see those all through the Scripture. And we go on and we find in the book of Revelation that Jesus is described as he who was and who is and who is to come. Right? Um, God's grace is manifested in three of the parts of the saving grace. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. You see that in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there are three prominent patriarchal fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see the three. And in the tabernacle that he instructed Moses to build, it had three parts. The outer court, the inner court 
or the holy place, and then the innermost court or the holy of holies. There was a three there. The angels cried out to God three times, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Amen. Daniel prayed how many times a day? Three times a day. Jonah was in the belly of the whale. How many days? Three days. We find, hey, even the New Testament is 27 books, which is three times three times three. I may be going a little too far there, sorry. Apostle Paul, after he, was, after he received the gospel and met Jesus, he was blinded for how many days? Three days. He was shipwrecked and stranded on Malta, strangely enough, for three months after being shipwrecked. Jesus was born, and he was visited by wise men. We're not told how many of them, but they brought how many gifts? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Three gifts. Jesus is 12 years old, and he was separated from his parents that day, remember? Or that time. And how many days did they look for? Three days. Jesus started his public ministry, and it lasted three years. And it looks like he started at age 30 and was crucified at age 33. Jesus, as he was led into the wilderness to be tempted to the devil, was tempted three times, that's recorded, of the devil. The disciples, there are 12 of them, that's four times three, but nevertheless, there are three that were in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John, right? And they were the ones that witnessed the transfiguration. They prayed with Jesus in the garden. They were the inner circle. Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him how many times? Are you still with me? Three times. How many times did he deny him? Three times. Then Jesus asked him later on after his resurrected. He extended his grace and his mercy to him three times. If you love me, do you love me? Do you three times? You see that there. In the Bible, we find that there are three times it's recorded that Jesus raised people from the dead. Lazarus, the widow's son, and Jairus' daughter. He prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was one of three men hanging on a cross that day. The sign above Jesus' head said, King of the Jews. How many languages was it written in? Three languages. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and Latin. He was placed on the cross at what hour of the day? The third hour of the day, which would be our 9 o'clock in the morning. At noon, it says that darkness fell over the land for how many hours? Three hours. And then at the ninth hour, which would be our 3 p.m., he declared, in our language, three words of victory. It is finished. And he died. And he paid that price out of mercy and grace. And he was laid in the tomb. And day one, nothing happened. And day two, all was silence. But on the third day... The stone was rolled away to reveal the fact that he has risen and he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has paid the price for our sins. It has been accepted. Jesus is called the way, the truth, and the what? The life. And he told that guy, today you'll be with me. Listen, you may be feeling guilty. You may feel unworthy. You may feel unlovable. Listen, he took your guilt on the cross. Don't say I'm unworthy because look at the price he paid for you. You are worth a lot. You're worth his body, his blood, him giving himself. Don't say today that you are, uh, I'm just too ashamed. He took your shame. 
Because not only did he die, did you see how they mocked him? Did you see how they spit on him? He took not only my sin, he took my guilt, he took my shame. He took it all. So I'm glad he doesn't give me what I deserve. I'm glad. And that he gives me what I don't and could never earn or deserve. His grace. I'm glad even though it wasn't fair. So I want to ask you again. Should bad things happen to good people? I look around and I think I see it happen a lot. But I want to tell you. It's only happened one time in the history of the universe. And Jesus volunteered for it. Let's pray.